And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Oh, go ahead, Shirley. You want to take it? It's your line. The Alice's always trying to... Well, uh, good morning again, everybody. Um, My name's Sean. If I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor. Teaching pastor here for Redemption Pure. If you're you're new, in the last couple weeks, um, this is probably the first time you've seen me in a while. We had a a busy couple weeks. I was grateful to have some time off. uh, Did weddings and, you know, a couple weddings each each weekend. So it was was good. It was a fun weekend. Um, But I am glad to be back. Um, I will say... You know, there's something about Juan being up here uh, last week and watching Taylor lead a couple weeks ago that I definitely want to just encourage us as a congregation. Um, you know, be mindful as a church. You're always, we're in a tension that we planted a church for the purposes of mission. And we recognize that God has us in the West Valley for a reason, which means um, we're not just at Centennial on Sunday mornings in communities, but furthermore, we want to go out. We, we want to continue to send people to do the work of the Lord and plant churches and do the work, uh, whatever work God puts in front of us, which means um, usually as we identify people who are called to ministry, that's usually younger uh, uh, men that we identify uh, to move towards some type of pastoral role. And the reason that's important is as a congregation, we want to provide space for those guys to cut their teeth. I mean, here's the reality. Um, I'm here because of many churches that heard a lot of bad preaching. As a matter of fact, the first time um, I, I preached, I preached to a, about 200 junior high students. And the first critique, I got off the stage and says, hey, man, listen, um, you, you kind of yell and you talk a little fast. And I was like, what? That's ridiculous. I never said, you know. Um, but the reality, you're stuck with me. We're going to die together as a church for the next 40 years as the teaching pastor because churches before us gave guys like me the opportunity. So I'm glad that Taylor got up here and gets to lead and he'll do it again and Juan and Charles like that. It's just, it's a, it's a good space for us as a congregation to be able to not just hear from the word of the Lord, uh, but watch, um, watch people grow right in front of us as they move towards ministry. So uh, thank you for that. Um, anyway, all that to say, if you are new, uh, Redemption Peoria is part of Redemption Church, which is nine different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Each congregation is elder-led, so I'm one of the elders here, along with four other men, and each congregation is lead pastor-led, and I'm the lead pastor here. So we have philosophical convictions as to why we do a lot of the things that we do, um, and I'd love to help you navigate any of those things. Myself or any of the elders' leaders uh, will be out in the lobby afterwards. If I have not met you before, I'd love to, to meet you. Uh, we'll be over by the, the Connect desk. Okay, cool. So let's jump in. Uh, We're going to get to John 12 uh, here in a second. I'm going to read it, but uh, I just want to catch us up as to where we are if you have been coming for the last couple weeks or this is your first time. Usually we go through books in the Bible, which for the rest of the year, we're going to go through the book of Jonah, the book of Philippians, then the book of Exodus. And as we go through these books, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're a little different thing as we started the year because what we're doing is we're trying to study the person of Jesus uh, and really looking, the language that we're using is that love walked among us. As Jesus is the perfect human, not only how can we emulate him, but how do we 
see him operating? How do we study the person of Jesus? And so that's what we've been doing. That's anybody who's been up here talking. We've been talking through various uh, texts within the four gospels. And today we're in uh, uh, the gospel of John uh, chapter 12. So I'm going to read this, but here's what I want you to know for the next four weeks. The next four weeks, the next three specifically, we're going to finish out Love Walked Among Us. And then the fourth week is Easter. Okay. The next three weeks, here's what we're going to do. These are going to be tied together, so I need you to process this with me for a second. Today, we're going to talk about a what of Christianity. When, when something is put in front of us that are complex things at first and then become simple, we forget exactly how they work. So on the way to church today, Eve is like, tree is spelled T-R-E-E, not C-H-R-E-E, even though it sounds like ch right? And I'm learning so much. And, and as, as she's learning to spell and, and learning to read, she's telling me all these tricks of the English language that she's learning, these phonograms, which is bizarre. I can't even get into all of it. But she's learning all these things that I just naturally know. I feel like, I don't know, it's this spelled this way because that's the way that it's spelled. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to take a step back this morning. And when we're told to love God and love people and love others... What's behind that? We're going to talk about that, okay? Next week, we're going to talk about why Jesus emulates that what. And then the last week in the Love Walked Among Us uh, piece, is we're going to see how he does it, okay? And then, then uh, we'll, we'll have Easter on here, and you'll continue to hear announcements about all that. So let's do this. Let's go to John chapter 12. If you're not already there, we're going to be in verse 20. Uh, and uh, yeah, so here we go. Just kind of contextually, what we're about to read is Jesus... Something flips within Jesus' mind. What's about to happen is he is, for whatever reason, I'll, I'll try to do my best to unpack it, is um, reminded or figures out or sees that the time of death is, is upon him. So from this point till the end of the Gospel of John, it is all about the death of Jesus. Okay, so verse 20 says this. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay, let's just stop real quick. So we're on the same page. Some context here. So Jesus has been doing ministry. These Greeks go to Philip. Philip, uh, uh, you know, ha, listen to him for a second. They say, hey, we want to talk to Jesus. Philip goes and gets Andrew. Andrew and Philip go and tell Jesus. And the moment Philip and Andrew tell Jesus, these Greeks want to talk to you, Jesus goes, the hours come upon us. It's time for me to die. Now, it sounds weird. It, it's, it, honestly, it sounds a little odd. I would put it in front of you, though we don't know exactly why this flips within Jesus that these Greeks coming to him. There are, if you want to look it up, and I can give you the exact text, but in Isaiah 41, 42, 49, 51, 59, 60, and 66, all seven of these chapters are about the Messiah coming. And when he comes, the coastlands or the islands will seek him out, which will signify his way to death or signify him giving himself away. And so Jesus, knowing the Old Testament, I, I might push us in that direction, that Jesus is mindful now that Greeks are seeking after him. He goes, okay, the hours come, right? So he is aware, I just need you to walk away from this part of the text. He is aware that his hour of death is in front of him. That's, that's the, the crux of the text, okay? Jesus then says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruits. Okay, so 
Jesus knows he's going to die, and then he makes this statement. And this statement is a statement that I, I'm going to assume we all get. It is, um, it's the natural flow, to be honest with you, of all living things when it comes to energy. Um, so let's just first break down the idea, then I'll explain what I just said there. So I, I served in a Hispanic uh, ministry, Hispanic-speaking ministry for years in an area called Paiute Park. And um, the pastor there, every Saturday, you know, he was an older guy, and he would always say the same line, one of those guys. And he had the, the same line. He would always say, we know how many seeds are in an apple, but we don't know how many apples are in a seed, right? And I was like, oh, yes. The first time, um, <laughs> the first time I heard it, I was like, that's amazing. The hundredth time, I'm like, cool. Um, but here's, here's the idea, right? We can open up an apple. We can count how many seeds there are. We have no idea how many apple trees can come out of one seed, right? And the reason that takes place is because you place the seed into the ground and that seed for it to grow those apple trees needs to die. Okay. Death needs to occur for this life to occur. This premise is true all around us. The way that animals continue to survive, if you just kind of think of this practically, is they steal energy from other living things. Cows continue to survive because grass feeds them. That grass, as it's watered using photosynthesis, it dies and gives the cow nourishment. The lion eats anything so that it can get nourishment. It takes the life. So, and this is what we're doing. We're surviving by consuming other living things. Things need to die to give us life. Jesus is putting in front of us a very basic principle all of us understand. For a seed to grow, it needs to be put in the ground and die. So his point here, the language is he uses wheats. Let me read it again with us understanding. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. If the grain of wheat falls on the ground and it doesn't die, it, it's not buried, it's just there, it remains alone. It's, it quite literally will die and not produce anything. But if it dies, it sounds crazy, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay. Verse 25, whoever loses his life, I'm sorry. Yeah. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now let's just stop real quick. This text is going to require us to do a lot, a lot of logical deductions, meaning because this is true, then this is true, then this is true. Jesus is going to walk us through this. I'm going to show us some charts here. I'm not a big chart guy, but I think charts will help us navigate this whole conversation. Jesus just said in this moment, the way we understand living things can be applied to your life spiritually. The way that you understand that unless this seed goes into the ground and dies, unless life is lost, there cannot be life. He now just applied this spiritually. Let me read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat uh, goes through this whole deal, verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So if you hold on to your life, if you, if you say, this is mine, I'm the captain of this ship, what's going to happen is you're like a seed that falls to the ground and produces nothing. When you die, nothing. You've produced nothing. There is nothing that grows out of that. But if you die, if you die, when you die, something is produced, something better out of this physical body. And, and Paul talks about this in First and Second Corinthians a lot. A spiritual body dies. So a seed's really, really cool, right? But what's crazy about a seed, we just planted in our garden. And what's crazy is as this, you plant these seeds and now what's growing, like for example, we planted watermelon. Watermelon's going to take over the the third of our backyard. It's just going to grow everywhere. That's a lot cooler, a lot bigger, a lot better. It produces more than the tiny little watermelon seed. If the watermelon seed said, 
I don't care what anyone has to say. I'm staying a seed, right? And that's probably how they would stand and point if they were a seed, okay? I don't know why that was like a, okay? I'm staying a seed, right? You'd go, cool, you're a seed, and you're going to die a seed, and that's it. But a seed is meant to grow, and this is Jesus' point. This is true for us spiritually, that you want to hold on to your life and do what you want to do. Great, you're going to get your 70, 80 years on this earth, and when you die, you die. But if you die, and we're going to explain these, this, uh, these different uses of the word, when you die to Christ, what's produced is something better. He goes on to even explain this a little more. Let's wrap this part up, and then I'm going to show you a few things that I think will be helpful in us understanding this. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him. So here is. Let's, let's watch the dominoes fall. Remember, we're using logical deductions here. First is, normal case of life, when there's death, it brings life. That's true for us. Next domino, that's true for us spiritually. When we die to Christ, we are raised to death in eternal life. And this is wherever Jesus is. This last statement here is, the Father honors those who die. Okay? So, I'm going to show you something, and we're going to walk through a couple things to understand this concept a little better, and I hope this is helpful. The man whose kind of book we've been using to guide our time in the New Testament uh, over the last couple months is a guy named Paul Miller. He has a few different books uh, that you can use, but he came up with something called this, this idea called the J-curve. Now, we've talked a, a briefly about it, mentioned a little bit, but I want to show you exactly uh, what this means and what this looks like, the what behind all that's going on. So let me show you the J-curve real quick. This is a very simple um, idea, right? The idea is this, that we are this dot, and when death takes place, it occurs, okay? So let's go our life in general. We are born there, and as believers, if we choose to die, we choose to enter into the suffering of Christ, whether that be Colossians, Galatians, uh, Philippians, actually all, yeah, most, almost all of Paul's uh, literature brings up this idea, us dying with Christ, we will be raised in the end day, at the last day. We will, we will, we're a seed, we will become a flower, if you will, okay? As cheesy as that sounds. But what's What's unique about what's put in front of us right now and what's unique about following Jesus is that we don't just see Jesus and following him in the J-curve in his whole life. We see that Jesus, yes, he was born, he's fully God, fully man, but he dies and he's raised again. And when he's raised again, he has a different, better body. That's true for Jesus holistically at a macro level. But every single week we have studied the person of Jesus, that has been true of Jesus' many deaths. Every time he's interrupted, a part of what he's doing, he, he puts away his agenda, his, okay, this is about me, and he gives himself away in a many death. And following Jesus is a thousand upon a thousand upon a thousand upon a million many deaths in our lives that we recognize Jesus will raise us from the dead. That in the end, he will honor us. Now, this is tricky because um, the difference between this and the prosperity gospel, there's a lot of explaining that needs to go on here, is what the prosperity gospel says is if you give yourself away, if you do, then you'll be given back the way that you want to receive. The difference here is when I want to watch March Madness, but I know my wife doesn't want to do the dishes, I, I, I experience a mini death. I, I put away my own preference. I experienced a mini death. It's funny, but it was, 
it's reality. Um, and as I experience this mini death, what happens is I, I put all those things away. I serve my wife, right? I could decide, well, because I did this, 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 whatever it is, I don't get to decide how Jesus will raise me from the dead. But here's what, what, what happened. When I was done washing the dishes, I felt like better than I would have if I would have sat there and watched March Madness. I thought, and the house is clean. God, thanks for like, like there was a, uh, this crazy moment of like gratitude. Jesus in that moment, the power of the spirit, like gave me something more than I would have had because I chose to die. And the Christian life is experiencing these many deaths and, and small resurrections. And sometimes, this is important, we don't even feel that at all. Like sometimes the resurrection we're waiting for is to understand what God was doing for all eternity. Yes, and amen to that. But we experience these many deaths in following Jesus. And so what we have, just to be clear, let me show you another chart just so you can kind of understand this a little bit. So um, here's, let's go through the text again, and I hope I can explain this well. We have death, right? In verse 24, we're told we die, okay? Then in verse 25, you can just keep going through these. We hate our lives in this world. This is all the experiencing. This is us experiencing death as Christians. We die. We hate our our lives in the world. We follow Jesus on the Calvary road. You can see that in verse 26. And then 26b, so we die. We hate our lives in the world. We follow Jesus on the Calvary road, and we become servants. You can see that all in the text. If you look at your Bible right now, you can see each one of these. This is the way of Christianity. So, so when we talk about following Jesus Christ, we are experiencing death. But what Jesus puts in front of us, this last idea of the Father will honor us, it will be worth it. The difference between you and your neighbor, your neighbor does whatever they want, their life is their own, they don't feel like they have to experience many deaths, and when they do this, they get what's coming to them. They have all this thing, but what we're told, we believe this crazy thing in faith that there's more to it. This is what we experience. We experience resurrection. In verse 24, in position of of us dying, we bear much fruit when we die. We will be a people who bear much fruit. In verse 25, we keep our lives for eternal life. So in verse 25, at the beginning of it, we hate our lives in this world. Yes, that's true, but we keep our lives for eternal life. So, so give, them the, give them the 80 years. And as we walk out the 80 years, we are like a seed dying. But we will be raised from the dead. In verse 26, we join Jesus where he is in our glory. When we follow Jesus on the Calvary road, we're with Jesus. And then lastly, 26b, the Father honors us. Even though we become servants, the Father honors us. This is Jesus putting in front of us these many deaths into resurrections. Many deaths into resurrections. So all that to say, let me put in front of you what I would say the what of how we play all this out. What what does all this look like? Um, And this is a statement that's been said a few different times. I don't know if we've ever said it from the stage, but I need to explain it when I say it. So give me grace when I say it at first. At the heart of love is death. Okay? At the heart of love is death. When I choose to wash those dishes... I'm doing it because I love Candace. I love my wife. And that means when I want to show my love, a part of what I want dies. Do you understand? This, is, this isn't just with your spouse. Let's, let's, let's just, kids, honestly. I mean, anybody who has kids, do I even need to give examples? I mean, this is a constant 24-7. Over and over, I love my child. And over and over and over and over and over again, 
I am constantly dying to what I want. I'm sharing my food. I'm sharing my water. I'm cleaning up messes. And I'm the dad. I don't get it. Candace is like living with these monsters 24-7. It's a constant giving away. Giving away, dying because we love. Ironically, what's crazy is this is exactly why abortion mirrored against it is so wrong. Because at the heart of love is death. What abortion shows is you love yourself, so something has to die. So, so, so just so we understand what, what's going on here, because we love Jesus, because we love Jesus, this is not love God, love people, and follow all these rules. This is why we continue to push against religion, because we have a very spiritual culture. Because we love Jesus, we embrace death. I love God, and therefore I choose to fast. I love God, therefore I choose to practice spiritual disciplines. I love God. I choose to love my neighbor. I choose to enter into conversations. I choose to be on mission because of this. There are things many, many times, if not over and over today, that I will enter into scenarios that I necessarily wouldn't want to enter into, but I feel God is calling me into because at the heart of love is death. And nobody shows this better than Jesus Christ. Nobody shows this better than Jesus Christ. He's not just pointing down to us and going, you need to die so I can raise you from the dead. He walks this out. And that's actually what the the next part of these verses are. Let's go to verse 27 and 28, and then we'll start to wrap up. And here's what I would say about this, uh, these these two verses here, when it starts with, uh, now is my soul troubled. Um, We're going to get a taste a little bit into a death. Okay? And when we get a taste into this death, we're going we're gonna to try to do a good job of holding ourselves up against what Jesus is going through. For, we're looking at the person of Jesus, and you're saying, yes, Sean, but that's not easy. These many deaths over and over and over again are not easy. And so we're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to see how does he react. If that's how we react, how does he react? Verse 27, now is my soul troubled. It's not easy. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Let's just look at this again. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Uh, Words that you could translate troubled, it's more than just like, oh, I'm worried. Um, This is actually when uh, Herod has all the babies killed early in the Gospel of Luke. It's the same word. It's actually used three or four different times. It's, it's like a, 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 an emotional agitation. There's something going on, distress. Like, I feel this weight, um, even in Gethsemane, what he feels in this moment, the sweating of blood. He, he now recognizes what's in front of him. And the language, I think, here is insane. Now is, my struggle, uh, uh, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Do you hear um, Jesus' language here? Like, I see what's in front of me. I've just been reminded because these Greeks came that death is on the way. I know what death means. Death will bring life. I get the whole concept. I understand it. Yet my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. And his declaration is simple. God, I I don't want this. I mean, this is, we see this in Gethsemane. Take this cup from me. But the same declaration of what Jesus, as he relates to us, he doesn't just relate to us, but he shows himself as the perfect human in the declaration. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. God, this mini death, it sounds super sexy. Cool. I get to die these mini deaths. 
I'm following Jesus. No, it's hard. And it's, it's not just difficult because those are many deaths. What about like the really, 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 really crappy stuff? And what Jesus put in front of us is this declaration. God, I, I want this to pass, but for this purpose, here I am. You've got me. I follow you. I trust you. I'm with you. This is how Jesus sets this example up. And watch this. In verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus' response amidst, I'm here for this purpose. What can I say? Have this pass from me. His response is worship. Father, may you be. May you receive all glory. May you be praised. May it be about you. Like your, and then listen, God responds. That's just all you need. God responds. And so, so like there's some of you like carrying the weight of that miscarriage and carrying the weight of the loss of that family member and you're feeling like that, that mini death is too much and you don't understand why the depression, you don't understand why the anxiety, you don't understand why the loss of relationship, you don't understand why the job can't go in this situation, you don't understand why the child is moving in this direction, why you don't have control of what's going on inside of you. There's all these things that you're feeling and what the word of God just put in front of us is one, Jesus has been and understands what it means to be troubled like you're experiencing that trouble. But furthermore, God responds. And so you're feeling like, God, I I don't know where you are. And I get it. I get it. But may his response not be what I want, but be for the glory of his name. And amidst the trouble, as difficult as this is, you would, in the same way, glorify God's name, and he's glorified it before, and he'll glorify it again. So let's just look, just real quick, one more chart for us, because I, I think this is helpful. Let's look at the logical uh, pieces that fall in uh, it's a place here, what Jesus says. First, the Greeks come, right? So this, the Greeks come, which uh, causes Jesus to think through or think about his death, which as he thinks about his death, this causes him to feel his death, and feeling his death, that causes Jesus to feel like running. Stop right there, okay? We get this whole deal. Do you understand? When we experience many deaths, when we experience things that are difficult, following God, loving God, and loving other people, we're experiencing this. This is difficult. And we feel like number four is where it's at. And then we get to number five. But instead, Jesus surrenders his will to his Father. So we want to run, but Jesus surrenders his will to his Father. And what that does is that causes worship. So here's here's the only thing I would encourage you with. I am not saying... That the J-curve, I am not saying that choosing these many deaths, your pain will go away. Matter of fact, I will almost guarantee you it will not. I'm not saying it's going to make it easier. What I'm saying is, and this if you are not a believer in here, this is going to sound bonkers. What I'm saying is, amidst that suffering, amidst that pain, choosing to surrender your will, there will be something that you cannot explain that births joy. You will go, God... On the other end of this or amidst it, I don't know how, I don't know why, but this is amazing. You're so good. I look back and I feel like now, even though I was in it, like childbirth, I would have said never again. But now on the other end, I go, I can have another baby. Like here you are looking at this going, God, I see now. Now, now this is important. Um, This is spiritual 
um, not always physical, not all understanding. And this is what I think Paul Miller gets when he talks about the J-curve. Listen to what he says here. He says, what if following Jesus means not only head-level ascents, but remapping your entire life in such a way that every act of love draws you down into the pattern of Jesus' death and resurrection? What if every time you face disappointment, hardship, or struggle, you, lo- you took the opportunity to participate in the life of Christ? The real point of the J-curve is to not help us cope with suffering, although it will do that. The J-curve helps us recast our expectations of what the Christian life looks, like, looks and feels like, locating our place on the map of Jesus' life and freeing us to experience the rich gratitude and joy of, of uh, walking with Christ in all the ups and downs of real life. So here's his point, and here's where we'll finish. When you go through this suffering, not to remove the suffering, here's what would bring that joy, that seed of joy. You in that moment when someone's talking bad about you and, it's, and they're saying things that aren't true, you get to go, Jesus, you know what that was like. You get to participate in the death of Christ. You get to participate in the death of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, this is like a foundational truth for Christianity. We have union with Jesus. And we're going to celebrate that one day we're saved and we want to announce it to the nations. That also means today we experience death. Today we experience hardship. Today we lament. But we recognize every single time we do, we connect ourselves with the death of Jesus. And no one shows us better than the Apostle Paul as he follows Jesus Christ. And so I want to read Philippians I keep saying I'm going to be done, but I haven't preached in a couple weeks, so let's get it in. Um, (laughs) Philippians chapter 3 is where we will finish. I want to read verses 2 through 11 so you can see this concept. It's all over the Bible. As we're constantly called to die these deaths, uh, constantly called to to forego what the flesh desires and give into what the Spirit desires, as we see this continuing to go forward, let me read these things to you. I'll read them off the screen, uh, Myrna, instead of my Bible. So this is what it says. The context here is that... um, um, Paul has been planting these churches, and then there, there's other false apostles who are saying, yeah, Paul's great, but we're better. Not only is Paul great, but we're better, but actually a lot of what Paul says, nah, he's not that great of an apostle. He's not that great of a Jew, okay? And so Paul has this desire, this is important, to prove himself. There's something that happens, something is being said, he wants to interject, this is what everyone needs to know. That's the context. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of uh, Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. So here's Paul's declaration. We want to talk about bragging. If there's someone who has the declaration in their back pocket to go, oh, I'm not that great, am I? It's me. Paul's saying, I could easily play this game and go back and forth and show that I am better. You ready? But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Let me go back to the screen here. Um, For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let's stop there. You hear what he just said? If we want to do the bragging game, who's, who's the most awesome? I can easily win. But you know what I've done? That whole world, I'm done. It's nothing. Let them have it. They can have the W. They can think they're better. Because all those things don't matter. You know what matters? Uniting myself to Jesus. And every time I experience these many deaths, I unite myself to Jesus. I find myself closer to Jesus. Then listen to this. This is crazy. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So we have the bottom right before the underlined portions. Basic Christianity, right? The righteousness from God that depends on faith. We are saved because of faith. Faith in Christ, faith alone. We get that. Now listen how this plays out. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I have faith in Jesus Christ. I see Jesus, that he died and he rose again. I believe I will raise again one day. I will meet him in the sky. As crazy as that sounds, I'll be given a different body better than a seed. You ready? And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So to get to the resurrection, you got to die. So there's no room for this whole, uh, I follow Jesus and we're cool, but I kind of do what I want. That Jesus doesn't exist. You, you coming on the scene and saying that Jesus has saved you, but you're not submitting your life, experiencing death after death after death, there is no resurrection for you. And I say that in love. Someone has tricked you, bamboozled you. Someone has put in front of you a false gospel, but Jesus offers you eternal life. He offers you joy. And in those deaths, we recognize we are uniting with Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and your grace towards us. We recognize that um, at the heart of love is death, and you exhibit this perfectly. For us to continue to love and the action of love um, means a, a putting away of, counting as rubbish, our desires, the things that we would want in this world. We lay those things aside and we make you Lord. And so that means your ways over our ways, death to our ways. It means your ideas over our ideas, death to our ideas. It means the way that you want us to parent, work, be a classmate, whatever it is, death to those ways, and we follow your ways. And we pray that we would understand what it means to be resurrected. We pray that we would experience a joy. We would receive, as you tell us at 2 Corinthians, a harvest of righteousness, that that we would experience um, growth in you and uniting to you in every death. We have this peace and this calm because we recognize, Jesus, you went before us in this. We love you. We thank you. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen.